Father, we come to you and you know every person that's watching or listening or is here this morning or this evening. And you know what they need tonight. You love them. You know them personally. You know the issues of their life. You know things that they need. They don't know they need. And so we're trusting you tonight through the anointing of your spirit and the anointing that's upon your word that you would deposit in each one of us tonight that which we need. Your word teaches us that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to search the depths of your heart and to bring forth from the depths of your heart those things that you have prepared for those who love you and were called according to your purpose and that he reveals them to us. And so we're trusting the Holy Spirit to speak to us tonight. It may be things we've already heard before, but he wants to bring them to a new depth in us, a new reality to us. And so we're trusting him tonight for that. We thank you, Lord, tonight that you are free to speak and do whatever you desire and choose to do. And we thank you for that in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, as I mentioned a minute ago, we've been talking, Pastor Ray, the last few weeks, and I think I did a week or two before that, before we went away, on the subject of healing. And, and it's because we haven't done it in a while, but also with what we've just come through and where things are right now, it reveals a very important part of the characteristic of God. Healing is not just a blessing that God brings to us, but healing is part of God's character and God's nature. And so we've, we talked when we began this series that the Bible teaches us that healing is an integral and important part of the gospel. And so, so much of the gospel that's being preached today in many churches does not include the gospel of healing. And in fact, we really haven't talked about it a whole lot here over the last few years. And so this is why I wanted to spend a little bit of time uh, in these few weeks doing that. And what the Bible tells us about healing and why it's an important part of the gospel. And I want to look tonight at a, at a particular aspect of this. And to do this, we're going to pick up on a story that um, Matthew and Mark both write about, about Jesus. But we're going to look at uh, the version that's in Matthew chapter 15. Now, it's important, and this is, I know Pastor Ray spent quite a bit of time on this, and uh, he is very well versed in this, on healing as God's will for you. And it's critical before you can really consistently believe and receive God's healing that you know without a doubt that it is God's will for you to be healed. Almost everybody will admit and acknowledge that God can heal. In fact, the leper we see in Matthew chapter 8, and I think also in Mark chapter 9, which Pastor Ray talked about, talks about it. He comes down the mountain and he says, I, I know you can heal me. This is leprosy. This is incurable disease. I know you can do it, but I don't know if you will. And in, and in Mark's account of it, he, it says, Jesus was moved with compassion and said, I will, and reached out and touched this man with this incurable disease and he was immediately healed. So we see scriptures, and Pastor Ray has taken you through scriptures to show you that it is God's will to heal you. But we talked about several weeks ago, it's even more than God's will. It's an integral part of his character. And, and we, can, we could even, his will, we could say, well, his will may have changed. The Old Testament, maybe it was his will, but it's not his will now. That's not true. But if you're just looking at his will... But healing is also part of God's character and God's nature. And someone's character and nature never changes. 
So I want to look at an aspect of this tonight that Jesus brings out, and, and it's brought out in an encounter he had with a woman that Pastor Ray also talked about. But we're going to look at it from a little different point of view. Matthew chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 21. Once I get there, Matthew 15, 21. Oh, they're going to put it up there for us. Okay. Now Jesus went forth from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now that's north of Galilee. So this is an area that was inhabited by people that were not Jews. And we're going to see one of them in a minute. And behold, a woman of Canaan. That means that she was not a Jew. That's important to our story. From that region, uh, came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And he answered her not a word. He just keeps on doing what he was going about doing and doesn't respond to her. Now, this sounds rude at first. It gets worse, actually. And his disciples came to him and urged him, sending her, send her away, for she cries out after us. In other words, she's bothering us. And Jesus didn't answer her. So here's a woman. Just get the scene. Her daughter is severely demon-possessed. She's come to him out of desperation, and she cries out to him, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, there are other places where people cried out to Jesus, Son of David, which was one of his titles, have mercy on me, and he responded to them. There was a, a blind Bartimaeus. There was two other blind people that cried out to Jesus, have mercy upon me, and he was touched with that call. Now, we're going to see why he didn't respond, but there's an important lesson of faith in here, but there's something else I want to get to. So, where were we here? Okay. The disciples come and say, send her away. But he answered, verse 24, and said, she said, he answered them, said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus' primary ministry was to Israel. He was the Messiah that God had promised to Israel. And we see through Paul's writing later on, especially in the book of Romans, that God's plan and provision was to offer the Messiah first to his covenant people, knowing that most of them would reject him. And then through the apostle Paul and some of the others, he would offer him to the rest of the world, the Gentile world, and use the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous that this was the Messiah. That was God's plan and still is God's plan. So Jesus is saying here, he's not being cold, hard-hearted towards her. He knows what his calling and his mission is. His mission is he was sent to the house of Israel to bring God's mercy and God's deliverance to them. But she didn't quit. She wouldn't take no for an answer because her daughter's life was at stake. Verse 25, So she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. This is the loving, kind Messiah. This is the Messiah that we see these beautiful pastoral paintings of, this wonderful shepherd with his long robes walking through the fields with the sheep, lost sheep over his shoulder and the birds flying around him. And he's, first of all, ignored her. And now he's called her a little dog and he refuses to answer her cry. Well, you have to understand a little bit more of what those words mean. The word dog is used in the New Testament 
not so much to refer to some four-legged little creature that's yapping around your heels. It basically means outcasts. There are places in Revelation where it refers to dogs being out eating in the, the, in the, in the, uh, the, the, the trash pile outside the city. So dog refers to somebody that's an outcast. And so he's referring to the fact that she's a Gentile. She has no covenant with God. And so he, he says to her, the children's bread, uh, it's not right to feel the ch- feed the children's bread to those people that do not have a covenant relationship with God, which includes her. But this shows you an aspect of God's character. She wouldn't give up. She persisted in coming because, again, she was coming by a desperate, heartfelt need that motivated her, and she didn't care what Jesus said to her. She was not about to be denied. Sometimes it takes that kind of perseverance. Sometimes it takes that kind of determination. And notice it moves him. And it's not as if God's sitting there saying, look, you've got to show me a certain amount of determination. It touches God's heart. And so she says to him, he said, it's not good to take the children... Go back to verse 26. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. Verse 27. And she said, but Lord... Even the little dogs get to eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. So she wouldn't take no for an answer. She persisted. And look at Jesus' response. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Now, there are several words in Greek that are translated great in, in in our English language. There are only two places I know where Jesus called somebody's faith great. One of them was the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. That uses a different word. This word is megos, from which we get megabucks and megagulp. This is a word meaning enormously great. And he calls her faith enormously great. Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as your desire. And the daughter's heart was, the daughter was healed from that very hour. Go back to verse 27. Even the little dogs get to eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Go back to verse 26. Jesus says, It's not good to take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs, those that have no covenant. Jesus is equating healing with the children's bread. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. This is another aspect of seeing God's character and God's nature. So what does bread represent? If it's the children's bread, what is the significance of that when Jesus has equated physical healing and deliverance to bread, to the children's bread. So this is what we're going to look at a little bit tonight. Well, what, in the Bible, bread represents a necessity for life. There's an old expression that, about people that were thrown into prison and they were just put on bread and water, which is implying that they got the very minimal food necessary and drink necessary 
in order to survive. Well, we know we need more than just bread. But bread represents what sustains physical life. So when Jesus said this, the healing is the children's bread, he's talking about something that sustains and brings health and life to, physical, to our physical bodies. Now, so let's look at this. It's not just bread. It's the children's bread. What's the significance of that? Well, the child has a parent. And it's the parent's responsibility to provide for that child what that child needs in order to live, to grow and mature, and to physically and mentally and emotionally prosper. So one of the things that a parent is responsible to provide for their child is food, is bread or what bread represents. And in fact, in our society, in our culture, if you don't feed your children after a while, the government may well step in and declare that you are unfit as a parent and remove, remove that child from your home and place them somewhere where a parent or a foster parent will provide them with the food and the bread that they need to be sustained. So Jesus is referring to physical healing, recognizing it is something that children, God's children, need in order to be sustained. All right, let's look at some other principles that relate to this. Therefore, children are entitled to expect to receive food from their parents. See, what we've done is we've spiritualized healing. We've spiritualized God's relationship with us to the point, and we, I think I talked about this in the beginning, that we've separated out the spiritual aspect from the physical, natural, and material aspect. And we began talking about this several, a number of weeks ago, I explained to you that the Jewish mind, the Hebrew mind and the Hebrew language does not make that separation. To a Hebrew, to a Hebrew of this time, whole, to be whole meant you were whole, spiritual, soul, and body. Emotionally whole, spiritually whole, and physically whole. Because if one of those three parts of you was not whole, you were not whole. So, for instance, the, Greek, the Hebrew word that we translate peace, which is shalom, means more than just the absence of turmoil. It means something that is knitted together, that is integral, that is whole. It literally refers to the weaving of something together. The Greek word for peace, irene, also means to knit together something that's been split apart to make it whole again. The Hebrew word shalom refers to physical wholeness, emotional wholeness, from which comes, comes peace. The Hebrew word rapha, which is translate healing, means physical healing, emotional healing. It means healing of in all sorts of life, because in the mind of the Jew, a Hebrew, if part of you was not whole, you were not whole. But we learned a few weeks ago that the Greeks, when they began to, when they, this, the New Testament is written in Greek, the Greek mind, which is what Western culture has grown into, separated 
man into different concepts. So they separate, in fact, some of the original, the early theology that came out of this that I don't want to trace back, it went back to Aristotle, was called a dualism, which you separate the material realm from the other realm, whatever that may be. And the material realm is evil, bad, corrupt. The other realm is pure and holy. So there's a separation. So in the, in the Western theology, theologians' minds, and this is where our current thinking comes from, material and spiritual things are very separate from each other. But they're not in God's mind. They're not in God's mind. So most of us are coming out of a paradigm, of a, of a, of a worldview, a, a theological view that sees man divided into physical and spiritual and God only cares about the spiritual because that's what's eternal. The physical is just a consequence of being here. So sickness and disease is just kind of part of the natural part of life. But Pastor Ray showed us through his teaching where sickness and disease come from. It's not a natural part of life the way God intended it. It's not a natural part of life the way God wills. It's exactly the opposite of what God wants. Therefore, when God came to redeem us from what Satan did, he redeemed us spirit, soul, and body. So it's important to understand how that division, that division took place. So... We're looking now at God a father. If, if I as a father, if we had four children, and as a father I have a responsibility to make sure that my children have the physical needs that they need to be taken care of. And they have a right to expect that I would provide that for them. And yet somehow when we move it over to God, it's different. And this is what religion does with us. But I want to show you some scriptures that I think will help us with that. Jesus is saying here that children of God are entitled to expect God their Father to provide whatever it is they need for life. And that includes physical healing for our bodies. So let's look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Maybe they'll put it up here. Verse 16. Now, what we're going to look at here is two scriptures, and there's some more we could look at. We're looking at two scriptures that tell us what God expects of us. God's commanded us to love one another, and as a consequence of that love for one another, God is expecting us to fulfill certain needs that one another has. By this we know love, love, God's love, because he laid his life down for us. Because of how he's acted towards us, we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. What is that going to mean? But what that means is, here's how you live it out. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts his heart up his heart from him, look at this, how does the love of God abide in him? John is saying that the very nature of the love of God is if it has the ability to meet someone's need, it is compelled because of that love to give whatever it has to meet that need. The love of God 
the very nature of the love of God is if I have a need, a legitimate need, spirit, soul, or body, there's no limitation here, that the love of God, that nature of that love of God is if it has the ability to meet that need, that it is compelled by that love to do it. Let's look at another scripture. Let's go over to James chapter 7. Chapter 2, excuse me. There is no James chapter 7. What does a prophet... He's talking about faith here. What does a prophet, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So what he's saying here is, is you can't see faith except by how we act. So if someone says, I have faith, but they don't act as if they have faith. They just sit there and have the, try to have the emotion or the thoughts of faith, and there's no corresponding action, that's not really faith. And now he's going to use a concrete example to show what that means. Verse 15. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of food, a physical, natural, material need, and one of you says to him, Depart and be in peace, be warmed and be filled. But you do not give him the things that are needed for the body. What does it profit? What does it profit? Verse 17. Thus faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So here again, God in his word is telling us, that if we love our brothers, if we love one another, and we have the means, and they have a physical need, and we have the means to meet that need, that if we really are walking in love, then we will know it because we will act out of that need. And yet somehow when it comes to God, and we have a physical need, we think God is expecting something of us that he would not do, and yet we saw John says, this is the nature of the love of God. This is what religion has done to the character and image of God. Let's go to one of my favorite scriptures. I've been healed on this scripture, Romans 8, 32. It's in a section, wonderful section of scripture, talking about what God has done for us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. So Paul is saying here, it's, this, is, this is a rhetorical question, because he did give him up for us all. If God did not hold back the life of his precious, sinless, treasured, cherished son for such as us, but he delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So Paul is saying here, this is what I've learned about God my Father. I've learned that in Christ he has held back nothing that he has that can meet a need that you might have. 
And so if you've got cancer in your body, if you've got sickness in your body, you have a need. You have a need and God has the ability and God has the obligation as your father to meet that need. And you have a right as a child of God to expect God your father to do for you what he's expecting you to do for one another. Now notice, it's interesting as I was meditating on this, Jesus starts out by basically telling this woman, I didn't come here to bring the children's bread to you Gentiles that have no covenant. I didn't come to do that. That's not why I'm here. And yet, when she cried out for mercy and she persisted in faith, he ended up giving her what she came for, even though that was beyond the limits of his purpose and coming, because he was moved by compassion. So now let's, let's kind of bring this full circle. Let's go to um, Exodus 15, 26. I know we've, this, is our, this is our basic scripture. This is right after they've come out of Egypt, out of Egypt and they're now about uh, I think it's three days out into the wilderness and they've run out of water and, and, and they've cried out, they've complained that they have no water, God's brought us out here to die. In other words, God's not going to take care of us. God's brought us out here and he, he delivered us through these ten wonderful dramatic miracles but he didn't think about water or he doesn't care that we're out here and we're going to starve to death and we're going, to, we're going to dehydrate and have no water. God doesn't care enough about us because he hasn't provided water or he's not able to. And so God does this miracle. We've talked about that before. And so God's trying to teach them now a principle of his character. If you will diligently hear, hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I put on the Egyptians. Just, just talking about what they've just seen to come out of Egypt. Verse 27. For I am the Lord who heals you. Some translations say, I, the Lord, am your physician. It's literally a compound name. Jehovah Rapha. I am your healing. So we see in the very beginning of this covenant with Israel, God introduces himself as I am the God that wants to... They've seen the magicians. They've seen, and I've talked about this before. They saw, because Egypt at that time was highly sophisticated in some uh, medical arts and even magical arts. And they, some of our scientists and physicians still don't understand some of the things that they were able to do. So they had seen man's mind come up with healing drugs and potions and lotions and treatments. They've seen this happen. They've seen the, the, the physicians in Egypt. God is saying, but I want to be. I am your physician. And then over in Exodus 23... God reinforces this. 
He said, right before this, he's told them, when you're going to go into the other land I'm taking you, they've been worshiping other gods. I don't want you worshiping other gods. I want you worshiping me. And so he says, in that way, you shall serve the Lord your God. And he will bless, look at this, your bread and your water, and I will take, some translations say, I will, I will remove sickness from your midst. Did it matter to God whether they were sick or not? God said, I will remove it from your midst. God didn't say, look, it's something you need to, this is part of life, it's just part of this fallen world. No, God said, I'm in a covenant with you. And in that covenant, part of my covenant is, I will meet whatever your needs are. And so I will remove sickness from your midst, but you have to serve me, and I have to be your God and your Lord. In, in Deuteronomy 7, with the next generation, just before they're going to enter in the same stage, God renews this covenant promise with them. And he says, then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, the Lord will God will keep with you the covenant and mercy he swore to your fathers. We just read that one. He will love you, bless you, multiply you, bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land. In other words, you're not going to have any miscarriages. He's going to prosper your, what you work you do, your grain, your new wine, your oil, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flock, the land in which he swore to your fathers to give you. Verse 14. And you will be blessed among all the people. There was not male and female barn among you. Verse 15. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness. Here again is the character and nature of God to his covenant, his covenant people. That's the Old Testament. Jesus said healing was the, that, that healing was the children's bread. So God sends his son to the earth. That's the New Testament, the New Covenant. When Jesus walked on the earth, he was that bread from God. Everything God had promised to Israel, he gave them in Jesus. John chapter 6. Verse 30. It's a long discussion here. But they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? And what work will you do? Verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna, that's the bread we just talked about, in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. That was the sign God gave them in the Old Testament. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, life there is not just spiritual life. It is abundant life. John 10.10 says, The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly to have spiritual life and have cancer eating your body away and you're confined into a hospice or a hospital somewhere is not abundant life. There again is that dividing you up into parts and segments and that's not how God sees you. Verse 34. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread. 
verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus has referred to healing of our physical bodies as bread, something that is necessary that God provides for us to sustain life. Jesus is now saying, I am that bread that God has given to bring life to the earth, spiritual life as well as physical life. Well, how is he going to do that? Jesus was the bread, God's bread for the children. While he was on this earth, his physical healing to everyone, he gave physical healing to everyone that came to him. I'm sure Pastor Ray talked about this. If not, we're going to hear about it at some point, and I've said it before. To me, one of the most convincing proofs of God's will to heal is simply what Jesus did when he walked among us for three and a half years. There is no case that we have in the Bible where anyone came to Jesus and he refused to heal them. The only one that's close to that is this woman we just read, where he refused to heal her, but because she wouldn't quit and persisted in faith, he healed her anyway. So even somebody he said no to, when they persisted, he still healed them because it's always the Father's will to provide that bread for his children. Not only that, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So, Jesus is that bread. He brought that physical healing. He brought deliverance from everything Satan had, had done in the fall, which Pastor Ray talked about, I'm sure. So, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Let's look at what Jesus did. Because we see individual cases of what Jesus did. There are about 19 specific incidences where Jesus healed somebody. But look at this. This is what Jesus normally did. This was his normal ministry. And Jesus went about. Literally it means was in the process of going about. It was his normal operation. All Galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel, that means the good news of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So Jesus' primary ministry was teaching and preaching the good news of the kingdom, and then he acted that kingdom out, what the kingdom of God was like, by healing every kind of disease and every sickness among the people. Verse 24. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Then what happens is we go into the verse chapter 5, we go into the, 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 um, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and at the end of chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount ends Chapter 9, Jesus is going into a, a house to teach with the religious leaders, and they bring a paralytic to him, and he heals the paralytic. And then chapter 9 ends with Jesus saying, with the Bible saying the same, the same thing about Jesus. It says that he went about 
teaching and preaching. Uh, except it doesn't limit it to, the, to Galilee. So Jesus' normal ministry for three and a half years was he went around wherever he went teaching, proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God was at hand and healing everyone that came to him that was sick. In Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 9 ends by Jesus crying over Jerusalem and realizing it's overwhelming the need. He needed people to come behind him and help because he says the harvest is great. Pray that the Lord of harvest would send laborers into the field. And then chapter 10, he commissions his disciples to go out into the field as laborers and he says to them to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand and to heal the sick. So he consistently connects the kingdom of God, the nature of God, God's desire, God's will, with healing the sick, delivering people from the sick, from sickness that Satan had brought on them. So that's Jesus' ministry. He is this bread. He is this healing that God is will, that God wants to provide for his children. You say, okay, pastor, that's great. So if I lived back in the times when Jesus was walking on the earth and I had some condition in my body and I could find where Jesus was and go to him. Just, just, I did this one time years ago. I, I did a, a, a message on called You Were There. It's based on an old television show by Edward R. Murrow who would, who would take you into a scene and imagine that you were at that scene. I don't remember all the details of it anymore. But, but we did that. We went, we imagined that you had a sickness in your body and you were in the crowd and Jesus was preaching about the kingdom of God. And then he began to heal sick people. They began to lay the lame down at his feet. And then you, you, you went somehow through the crowd and you knew because if Jesus healed everybody in the crowd, all you had to do was to be in the crowd to be healed. Isn't that interesting? Because if it's only God's will to heal some, how could God, Jesus heal everybody in a crowd if he didn't know who was in the crowd. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, she was healed before Jesus knew who she was. So how could Jesus know it was God's will to heal her if he didn't even know she was there? Because it's always God's will to heal. He was healing bread that God sent to the earth, as well as the bread of the fullness of life. But what, what does that do for us? What does that do for us today? I'm glad you asked that question. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 43, 53. Very famous verse. Verse 4. This is a prophetic description of the ministry of the Messiah. Isaiah was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. He had the greatest prophetic revelation and understanding of the ministry of the Messiah from the Old Testament. There were others that had it, but his is the greatest. And in, in this chapter 53, there are other places where it's referred, describes the mission of the Messiah, his ultimate purpose, which was to suffer. And this is why the Jews of that day missed him, because they didn't understand that the Messiah was going to deliver them by suffering in their place. So let's look at what he came to do, and we're going to condense it down. Surely he has borne our griefs 
and carried our sorrows. Now let's, the word, I'm going to break this down a little bit so you can understand it. I know most of you have heard this before, but it bears going back over. The word sorrows there is, is a Hebrew word that every other place in the Old Testament is translated sicknesses. I mean pains. I get it back mixed up. Sorrows is every other place translated pains. And in fact, in several literal translations, Young's literal translations, Lesser, who was for years was the official Hebrew-English translation, also translates it as, as uh, uh, sicknesses and pains. And griefs is translated sicknesses. So literally these mean sicknesses and pains. And again, every other place in the Old Testament where those words are used, they're referred, they refer to physical sickness and physical pains. Now the word born here is a, is a Levitical word that was the same word that was used when the high priest on the Day of Atonement would take the goat called the scapegoat and he would lay his hands on that scapegoat and pray over that scapegoat and then they would send him off into the wilderness to wander off and eventually to die. And that was to represent that the sins of the nation for that year were now placed upon that goat. And the word, the Levitical words was, he was to bear their sins. They were literally to come upon him and he was to carry their sins away from them. That word bear that's used there is the same word born here. So it's literally saying Jesus, part of what Jesus did on that cross was he bore our sicknesses and bore our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Now this is critical because the big issue here is is healing, divine healing, was it included in the atonement that Jesus did for us on the cross. And there are people that get offended at that and say, no, that's not possible, but it's what the Bible says he did. He came to be identified with man in every malady we had, sin and sickness. I don't, we don't got to go there, but, but uh, Psalm 103 said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, plural. So there's more than one benefit we're to bless him for. And then he tells us what they are. Who forgives all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases. All. And it goes on to talk about he delivers us from destruction, crowns us with loving kindness, satisfies our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, our sins. The chastisement, that means the suffering for our peace, was upon him and by his stripes, wounds, we are healed. That word is rapha that refers to physical healing. Notice, that covers three aspects of us. Spirit, soul, and body. We, he was bruised for our iniquities. That's the spiritual sin. The chastisement for our peace. That's our mental and emotional healing. 
and by his stripes we are physically healed. So Jesus came and walked on the earth. He was the children's bread. He brought that healing to meet people's needs through his, the anointing that was on him through his own life. But God's ultimate goal was that this would be available to everyone that would come from it to him, just as forgiveness and redemption would be available to everyone. So now Jesus brought, God, he, it was all put on him on that cross. Jesus paid for our sins and he bore our sicknesses. Matthew chapter 8. When evening had come, they brought to him many demons, two were demon possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. That might be fulfilled. So this is physical. Go back to verse 16. This is physical sickness. It's not a spiritual sickness, physical sickness. If we went back earlier in Matthew 8, we would see that the centurion's servant had a physical malady and he was healed. We would see that Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever and that she was healed. And so the verse we're about to see refers to all of that. And he healed all who were sick. Verse 17 tells us why. That might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, self, he took himself our infirmities. This is a direct quote back to Isaiah 53, which we just read. Now keep in mind, this is written by the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit's commentary on Isaiah 53 we just read. This is telling us that Jesus bore, took our infirmities and bore for us in our place our sicknesses. So here's what this means. Jesus said, healing is the Father's provision for his children for whatever they need. Just as you would be wrong to withhold physical food from your children, and your children have a right to expect that you would provide the physical nutrients, nutrients that they need, and just as God expects us to help take care of one another's natural needs if we have the ability, in the same way God is obligated because he is our Father to do the same thing for us, and he has done that. See, so often we have the idea that I'm praying to get God to heal me. I'm trying to get God to do something for me, so I have to talk him in to doing it. But the Bible teaches us that God has already done it for you. Just as your sins were already paid for before you came to Christ. Your sins weren't paid for when you came down to this altar or got on your knees somewhere else or wherever you were in your car. That's not when God paid for your sins. Your sins were paid for 2,000 years ago on that cross. What happened when you got on your knees, what happened when you called out Christ, is you received something that had already been paid for on that cross. And the same thing is true 
with physical healing. It's already been paid for. It's already been taken away. Well, how come I'm still experiencing the symptoms of it? The same reason many people are still not experiencing the forgiveness and the freedom that's been paid for because they haven't learned how to receive it. And that's part of why we're spending this time in this series. So, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I've come down. So, when he walked on the earth, if you needed healing, you had to get to him somehow. But if you could get to him, you knew you were going to be healed. So what do we do? We can't go to Jesus because he's not walking on the earth. But we can go to the cross because it's on that cross that Jesus did for you what he did for that Syrophoenician woman, what he did for the woman with the issue of blood, what he did for every person that was in each one of those crowds, what he did for every person that came to him for healing, he's also done for you, and he did it for you, and he did it for me on that cross 2,000 years ago. The healing bread. So what we have to do is learn how to come to what he did for us on the cross and to receive that by faith. For so many people, healing is this hard thing that we have to work hard somehow to get. And your hard work is what's getting in your way of receiving it. It's the way you'd receive any gift. You have to simply believe that it's been paid for and given to you. There's work involved, but it's not to earn it. The work is to renew your mind so that you believe it in your heart. And I think I talked about this in the beginning. Mental belief, agreeing, yes, I, Pastor John, I see that. I've read all these books on healing. I've listened to tapes and CDs on healing. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus paid for my healing. But do you believe it in your heart? It's got to become part of you, just like your name is part of you, so that you know you came in, those of you that are here, and you sat down in that seat that you're sitting in, and you didn't go through some great struggle, you didn't check it out to make sure it was, because you have confidence that you don't even think about it. You just came in and plopped yourself in that chair, because you have absolute confidence that chair is going to hold you. Well, in Jesus' day, it was easier to believe that because if you were among a crowd where everybody's getting healed, you're seeing people that walked, that came up on crutches walking back without crutches. You're seeing people whose eyes are blind now seeing. You're seeing physical evidence that this is true and real. So it was easy for them to believe that back then because they were seeing it. It's harder to believe that today because we don't see that as often as we did back then, because of the collective unbelief of the church today. It's just not taught enough. It's not, but if you go into some foreign countries where it's been taught and they've not been taught anything contrary to that, uh, uh, one of our teachers when we were in Bible school, uh, was my teacher, I don't think he was your teacher, uh, he was an advanced campaign manager for a, a leading worldwide industry uh, 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 Brother Osborne. Um, and and uh, he was kind of like the, the Reinhardt Bunky of the 60s. And he would go into Africa 
and he would have these open-air meetings of hundreds of thousands of people, and there's just mass healings. I mean, right now, uh, um, um, Christopher Olam, who's come here, he's over, in, he's over in, in Africa again, and he's having amazing healings. Part of that is because they don't have the alternative to go to a doctor. See, we don't have the sense of urgency that they have. Because, okay, well, you know, I gotta, do I go to the doctor about this or do I believe God? Well, it's easier to go to the doctor. It's just easier to go. And that's, we have more faith in the doctors, and I'm, I'm very glad for them because many of us would be dead if we didn't have doctors, including me. But we don't have the urgency that they have because they don't have the other alternative that we have. So my point is, in other countries, it's easier for them to believe. So this, camp, this, this advanced campaign manager, um, who, who is a mission we support, um, he would go, and his job was to advertise the, the, the meetings. And he would go up into the mountains, in the jungles, with a generator and a 16-millimeter projector and a screen. That's what they had back then. And, and he would show videos of other campaigns where people were getting healed. And he said the biggest problem he had was the people that came from the village to watch this, and the purpose of this was to get them to come down to the meeting so they would get saved, was to, because when they watched the video, they start getting healed on the spot because they would see it and they would just receive it because they, weren't, they didn't have all the training and unbelief that we have been steeped with. So in a sense, there is work required, but the work is simply to renew your mind so that the truth of it can get down, can get down in your heart. And that's the purpose, one of the purposes for this series that we're doing. So we're going to bring this to a close now. I want to pray right now. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to, I'm, I'm going to do this for a while, and then we're going to have an evening when we pray for the sick. One of the reasons for this is to give you confidence to pray for people. Because sometimes we don't know how to approach somebody. How do I talk to them about Jesus? But you could be in a supermarket somewhere. My wife's done this. So others of you have done this. You could be somewhere and you get talk to somebody just, and you find out they're struggling with some sickness and you can offer to pray for them. But the reason we don't do that is how do I not, is we're not confident that God's going to answer that prayer and they'll be healed. So we don't, want, we don't want to embarrass God by praying for somebody and they don't get healed. And believe me, God can handle that. He'd rather have us step out. So that's one of the reasons why we're doing this because the underlying theme here is healing is an integral part of the gospel. So, so let's pray. I think we've got some healing requests here. No, that's already been taken care of. Let me see... Yeah, we've got some needs here to pray for. Let's, let's do this. Join with me together. Here's somebody that was diagnosed with recurring cancer under arm and is in remission, but they now put her, they want to give her chemo, and there's a lot of pain in this therapy. She's in third stage. This is somebody else that had surgery. She's 75 years old and has had to have a radical hysterectomy and undergoing chemotherapy. Those are vicious. They're hard to do and needs prayer. Somebody with bladder cancer and arthritis needs healing. Somebody else has just seen her doctor and told that she has rheumatoid arthritis 
and she takes care of her husband who is in a motorcycle accident and is in chronic pain. She needs prayer to take care of the healing for her husband. So let's stretch out our hands and pray for these people. Father, we come to you right now. We come to you for the needs of these people that are put in these prayer requests. We come for this person that's been diagnosed with recurring cancer under arm. Father, cancer is an ungodly disease. It is not from you. But you've given us authority. We come to you to exercise the healing grace and authority. Jesus told us that we can speak to something in his name and it will be done for us in heaven. So we take authority over this cancer. In Kim, we take authority over this cancer under arm and we command this thing to die at its root. Jesus said you could speak to a fig tree and tell it to die at its roots. We could speak to a mountain and tell it to be cast into the sea. And as long as we would not doubt in our hearts and believe that what we said would come to pass, we would have whatever we said. Father, your healing for her body is her children's bread. And we call upon you to bring that healing grace and mercy to her body. Father, we pray for Odette, for healing, Lord, and for healing from her this hysterectomy and for cancer. And Lord, to, to come through these treatments in the name of Jesus, healing and wholeness. Bladder cancer for Ted. We curse that thing in the arthritis. In the name of Jesus, we command that cancer in the bladder to go. It is not God's will. And we stand in Jesus' place right now and speak to that cancer to go. And rheumatoid arthritis. In the name of Jesus, you will not cripple her. Arthritis is under the curse of the law. And Jesus bore her this curse for her and by his stripes she's been healed and we receive that healing for her we stand with her in Jesus name 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 Father we come to you tonight for anybody that's watching right now or is here tonight that has sickness in their bodies. We come to you as children of God. And if this were not in your word, this would be bold and arrogant to say. But you are a father that loves them. And we've seen tonight that the physical bodily healing and wholeness in their bodies is a need that they have And because you are their father, you have an obligation to heal their bodies. And so we know, we've learned tonight, that you have fulfilled that obligation in what Christ did for them on that cross. And because he's borne that sickness, because he's borne that disease for them, they do not have to bear that. It has no right in their bodies. Just like they don't have to bear, they don't have to to be in sin. They don't have to live in sin. Sin, your word says, no longer has dominion over them because Jesus bore that sin for them. Well, we've seen tonight he also bore their sickness for them. So we declare tonight that in the same way, sickness has no dominion over their bodies. And so in the name of Jesus, we command that sickness and disease to leave those lungs to leave those kidneys, to leave the bladder, to leave the liver, to leave the joints, 
to leave the heart, the weaknesses in the heart and the obstructions in the vessel of the heart, breathing in the lungs, to leave the lungs. The lungs are free tonight in Jesus' name. Lungs are free tonight in Jesus' name. Sickness. You have no dominion over their bodies because Jesus has borne that sickness for them. And by the bruises on his body, the stripes on his body, he has paid for healing. Healing. Children's bread to bring health and wholeness to the bodies. And for this we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I heard a teacher mention this and it occurred to me while we were praying. We saw in Isaiah 49, 40, 53, it says, and by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah, uh, 1 Peter 2.24 says the same thing in the New Testament. The stripes refer to the whipping that he took when he was scourged at that whipping post. But think of this. In order to pay for our sins, Jesus did not have to go through that scourging. It would have been enough to pay for our sins to him to be nailed to that cross, made to be our sin, and to die on that cross. So why did he have to go through? And it was not normal in a crucifixion for them to be scourged. So why did he have to go through that beating if it was not so that he had to bear stripes, bruises in his body to pay for the healing of our bodies? Amen and amen. If you're watching tonight, I think I know everybody that's here, but if you're watching online tonight, I talked tonight about how Jesus took your sins, every sin you've ever committed, your wrong deeds, words you've said that violated God's words and commandments. More than that, every thought you've ever thought, every thought that violates God's righteousness and holiness, every time you've said the name of God in any way that was not reverent of him and not worshipful to him just to say oh my god that's taking the Lord's name in vain that's just one example of the sins that we've done against God that are an offense against him but God took every one of those instances of sin that you've ever committed and God put them on his son on that cross his sinless son And on that sinless son, God poured out his judgment, anger and wrath and punishment for your sin on his sinless son so that he could bear your sins and bear the punishment for your sins. Why would God do that? So that he could legally forgive you of your sins so that he could offer to you the right to become his child and enter into heaven when you leave this earth and spend eternity with him. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So all you need to do, what you need to do, is not repent.
pay for your sins. You can't do that. What's left for you to do is to invite this Jesus who paid for your sins into your life and receive him in your life as the one that paid for your sins. You may believe that he's the son of God. That's wonderful. You may believe that he died and paid for the sins of the world. That's great. But it's when you receive him in your life personally as the one that paid for your sins, that's when it takes effect in your life. So here's what I want to do. If you've never done that before, I want to help you tonight by leading you in a very simple prayer. And all you need to do is just believe this as best you can. God's going to do the rest. You don't need to bow or kneel. Just You can look me in the eyes if you want to. What's important is you say this out of your mouth and that you mean it as best you can. We're just talking to God. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I put my life into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. Now, if you pray that tonight with me, either for the first time or maybe you made a recommitment to the Lord, here's what I want you to do. There's a number at the bottom of your screen. I want you to call that number tomorrow because we have some free material we want to send out to you to give you a better understanding of what you've done tonight. And the person that answers the phone, they'd be happy to pray with you. And then tune in Sunday at 9.30, same way you're watching tonight, because we're going to bring you a message to give you, to, to give you some insight into what's going on in your life and what's going on in the world around us and some direction for your life. Thank you so much for, for tuning in tonight. I want to pray tonight as we close over the offering. I know we're not receiving it physically here, but many of you have given already. Some of you have given online.